Is there anything wrong with something being simple? Look at this elaborate machine that I built that takes up an entire room to flip my light switch. When do you consider the relationship a success? When you achieve the relationship or when you died in the relationship? You just have the special sauce that lets you do whatever. And this is why Marxists are wrong when it comes to the value of labor. Nobody sees being smart as an achievement, but they are impressed by it. Anything's legal if there's consent. Philosophers. Philosophers. So, David, I think I know what we should talk about this week. Okay. I was having some conversations with my wife this week about... Oh, dear. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have conversations all the time. It's not always bad. <laughs> all right. Quick tangent, though, <laughs> before we even get into the topic, because that reminds me. Uh, my wife joked that... Um, okay. For context for those of you who don't know... Um, my home has two kitchens, and it's not because I'm ultra wealthy or anything like that, okay? Um, the office has a small kitchenette in it, okay? And my wife joked that if I was ever in trouble, now she wouldn't feel bad. You know, I wouldn't have to sleep in the doghouse, have an office. Right. And I was like, yeah, but I could just name my office the doghouse, and it would be funny. And then yes. somehow this spiraled into, since I have a kitchen in there... I could start a YouTube channel called Doghouse Cooking, where I teach men who have been kicked out to the doghouse how to make, like, scrap-together meals Right. Um, when you have limited things. Because I don't keep, obviously, like, a full pots and pans and ingredients here. Right, yeah. they would spoil in here because you're not really cooking in here. Exactly. It's, it's, it's an office. It just happens to have kitchen appliances in it. But anyway, so enough pseudo-doxing myself by giving details that set me apart from the average. Um, we were talking this week, my wife and I, about this um, TV show that she's watched. It's called Sister Wives. Are you familiar with this show? No. Do you know what it's about at all? Uh, wives who are sisters? I... Actually, no. So it's about a Mormon relationship. Uh, so Ooh. it's a polygamist. So you know how in like uh, some faiths, like if you and I were to attend the same church, we could call each other brother. Right, mm -hmm. like ah, oh, yes. brother David. So they're sister. Yeah. yeah, they're sisters in their faith, but they're all just in a polygamous marriage. It's I think four women married to one man. Great, right? And um, while we were watching this, um, it's hilarious. By the way, if you ever need some light television to make you laugh, um, because it's essentially just all of the marital issues that a, a monogamous couple would have, just times four. Um, Outstanding. Yeah wonderful isn't it um the people in the show like to talk about how like they use a bunch of terminology which is unique to their circumstance that most people wouldn't understand um which is something that i feel as though happens a lot these days um as we as there are more and more walks of life that are considered acceptable which i'm not trying to say that that's bad but situations occur when you're walking outside of the path that some would consider to be normal that you now need to describe, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they'll use terms and they'll, they were saying things like in a monogamous relationship, it's pretty simple because there's just two people. Uh, and, but in a pluralist relationship, which I think is what they would go to say to a plural, they, they don't use the word couple, obviously. Right. Cause it's not, it's not. Yeah. Um, in plural relationships, it, things are more complicated and more difficult, but when you make them work, they are better. As to imply, there's like this function in which complexity, if achieved... Is like virtuous. Is virtuous, yeah. Or a moral better. Or, or impressive. Something. Impressive, yeah. And so I was curious, like, why do we do that as humans? Like, why do we apply like special reverence for things that are complicated... But for things that are simple, they're almost like there's also this idea that, oh, well, that's too simple. Like, is those simple is right. not sufficient. So there's two sides to this coin. Okay. Um, as far as like simplicity and complexity that not. Okay. Not simplicity and complexity are not the two sides of the coin. The two sides of the coin are the first 
that you mentioned, which is, oh, that's too simple or that complex is impressive. Um, and so, we, yeah, we, we, we will talk about that. But another thing, another place that I'd like to take it is that I, I happen to think the opposite way, at least about some things. Okay. Um, it is impressive to me to make a good system that is also simple. Um, because sure. it is easy, it you know, and yeah, and, and you and I both have, you know, engineering backgrounds. So you understand exactly where I'm going here, which is that it, like I can make, I could make a machine that does basically whatever you want, but it will be very ugly, um, and have lots of different parts in it. Probably a single part dedicated to each individual function of the machine. Mm hmm. And it requires a certain level of cleverness to make one part do multiple functions. I see what you're saying, but it comes to the completed product of the machine and its operation. But the process of making a machine simple for others is complicated. Because now we're splitting the creation and the operation. Right. So you could apply the same paradigm to either creating a a creating a machine via symbol process is not as meritorious as the complex work of creating a simple machine whereas the use okay. of a complex machine is meritorious but the use of a simple machine isn't but okay. they're related typically the more complicated the more simple a machine is for a user the more complicated it is for the engineer and vice versa. Right. Not always. With but some exceptions, yeah. Some exceptions. But it's the same paradigm we're talking about, right? Okay. But why? Why what? what? Why is it that things that are complicated are seen as... You know, why, why do we apply a value to those things, do you think? We do these things not because they are easy, but because they are hard? Yeah, but that, that's just <laughs> asserting that we do, but why? <laughs> You know, I can think of maybe some examples like, okay, if there is a 500 foot hill outside near us mm -hmm. and we got to the top of the 500 foot hill, no one cares. But if you climb right. Everest, all of a sudden it's impressive. <laughs> Not just Everest either. Just well, I was going to say yeah, Everest is like the one, but that's because it's the tallest. Yeah. But there are arguably, it uh, doesn't matter, but climbing a full blown, you know, 10,000 foot plus mountain. Say, for example. Right. I think I can understand to some degree why one is considered more impressive than the other. It's harder. Yes. And But but it's not so much that even that it's harder, I think. It's that it puts you in a more select group of people, perhaps. Well, right. As a function of it being harder. Like, the harder something is, the fewer people that are going to attempt it, probably. Successfully, too. Well, yeah, the, the fewer people who are going to attempt it, and then fewer still will succeed. Hmm. Does that matter at all? Do the which which one of those ratios is important, or, or both? For example, it is very easy to eat something poisonous. Yes, it is typically difficult for to survive eating something poisonous. Right. Right. So, um, does it have to be the difficulty of the thing, or or, or let's put it this way, we we. I don't. This, this seems like a a different thing, Maybe. though. Because, like, okay, if we're if we're assuming that we're doing like a fair test where you just eat the thing and then we see if you die, then yeah. it's like, well, that's not very impressive if you survive, like, because you got lucky. Like, you have the lucky genes where you're immune to fair this poison. Enough. Yeah, that's not. Something. But you didn't really, you didn't do anything harder than the next guy over. You just happened to survive. Okay, let's make it something more simple. Um, making money. Okay. So, most people in 10 years could accumulate 10,000, most people in the United States could accumulate $10,000 in a savings account. Yep. In 10 years. That's mm -hmm. not that hard to do. Right. That is also something that I would argue a lot of people do do, whether one way or the other, maybe a retirement account or whatnot, you know. I have no idea of the numbers. I don't that, know but... either, but it's not difficult, right? No. Um, or let's put it this way. I would be willing to bet many people attempt to save money. Let, let's just assume that that's the case. 
for the sake of I argument. have some very irresponsible people in my circle. Uh, that's so. fair enough. But, but let's assume for the sake of <laughs> argument that most people at some point in their life are like, oh, I need to save up some cash for some reason. Right. Right. Saving as an activity. Someday I want to buy a house. Yeah. Or something. like I, I, Or even I want to buy a new TV that I can't just afford with one paycheck and also be able to pay my bills. So either way, yeah. the activity of saving money is something that not that is something that most people will attempt. Right. Unlike climbing a mountain. Right. However, few people actually accumulate money. Right. So does it matter how many people attempt the thing or does it really just matter how many people succeed in the thing? I think it only matters how many succeed. Okay. Just to clarify. Okay. Well, well okay, I I guess like okay, the ratio of how many attempt to how many succeed is a measure of how difficult the thing is. Okay, fair enough. So in the, in that sense, if we're trying to evaluate the virtue of doing the thing, then we can use the number of people who attempt as a, you know, a parameter to find out numerically how difficult is this thing. Um, but the th- that the number of people who attempt on its own doesn't matter. Yeah, because so, you you will be one of n people who have done the thing if you do it. So there's no special. We we don't need to give a special name to the ratio of the number of people who attempt out of everyone. No, I don't think we we need that. We just yeah, we just need the difficulty. Okay. What percentage of people who try it actually succeed? Because like I could be part of the exclusive like very small number of people who have watched a cubic meter of ice melt it's not very difficult but almost nobody has done it so i could be part <laughs> of a very exclusive group of people who who have done this thing that is extremely boring um and achieves nothing um but nobody would be impressed because the ratio of people who attempted to who actually do it is probably really close Right. Anyone who who would choose to do that probably saw it through to the end. All right. So I'm trying to come up with, I guess, the formula for virtue in this case. Like, just to to fill you in. So if attempted everyone doesn't matter, then we just don't include that as a... It's not a component of virtue. Right. Okay. But difficulty appears to matter. Yes. The difficulty matters. But I don't think difficulty alone is all that matters. And I think that was the point I was trying to get at when we were watching the show is... I do not find the endeavor, albeit difficult, meritous because mm-hmm. I think it's wasted effort. But that comes down to my values. Yes. Right? Um, I do not feel as though personally that a pluralist relationship yields positivity mm-hmm. according to my value scale. So, but that doesn't necessarily mean but that being said, does at that point, because at that point to me, to even to attempt it, everybody who attempts it, regardless of whether they succeed, air quotes, or fail, from my perspective, are all wasting their time. Right. You know, uh, because you're pursuing something that I wouldn't consider to be a value. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that those who achieve it for any period of time... Because it's another thing to keep in mind with, I guess, what we're talking about in relationships in this case. When do you consider the relationship a success? When you achieve the relationship or when you died in the relationship? Like, what what does yeah, it mean to depends. succeed in relationships? Or is it just the total length of the relationship? So, in this case, for example, say two 16-year-olds are going to go date and they start dating. And that's like the highest level of relationship they're able to achieve. Mm-hmm. So, it's considered a success because they've succeeded in beginning to date which is what most people look for when they're young and trying to date somebody that's the goal is to be dating somebody Mm -hmm. so once you've achieved the status of be dating you know you've done it but you have to maintain the thing in order to still be dating right and so what additional value do you get because because if i'm looking at this from a admittedly more of like a if I'm trying to design like a reward function, right? <laughs> um, this kind of talk is how you end up not dating anybody. Um, but... A, that's true. And B, this is also why developing an AGI is hard. Um, um, so 
if I wanted to maximize reward, I would just succeed in dating as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Because if the value of the, if the most value to be attained is to begin the relationship, you would begin it and end it immediately. Yep. Especially if you could only have one relationship at a time. However, that's not what most people do. No. Most people want to be dating a specific person. Right. For as long as... For as long as what? You want to. (laughs) Exactly. So now it's like there's this iterative function. We have this societal expectation that you should be able to find someone with whom you would spend the rest of your life with. Yes. And so that like that's the that is the ultimate goal in our society anyway it seems. Um and so the longer the relationship lasts, the closer you apparently got to achieving that goal. Right. But I mean, like you could you could like I I don't think this is a healthy way to think about it, but you could think of every everything like that like if you if you don't die with that person, then you failed. Right. Like, and I think it also depends on the dynamic of the relationship, right? I mean, we, as a culture, have kind of set up categories of relationships on purpose. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's two angles you can look at it from. There's a, the progressive angle, which is, and by that I mean each stage, stage leads into the next. Right, there's a progression. Yeah. Right. Not, a, yeah. <laughs> um, and, but it sets as its goal to be married and then accept the criteria of what that would be. And mm-hmm. most mar- most marriages come with this till death do you part statute as a part of that contract. Right. So it implies that it's to be married and not fail and to fail is to violate the contract. Mm-hmm. And pretty much if you if the relationship does not end because of a death, you failed. Um which brings up another interesting point. We're often told that to attempt is virtuous mm-hmm. and to succeed is more so. But is there a scenario in which continuously attempting something like can, can the racking up of failures outweigh the merit to be gained by attempting? And then maybe even further the merit of attempting than succeeding. Right? Yeah. So, okay, this is, let's, let's jump to this tangent real quick. Cause I think this is also interesting. Yeah. So let's take something like, um, passing a test of some type, like, yes. like a college entrance exam or something like that, mm-hmm. whatever it has to be, or how about a certification exam to get a job, right? Okay. So there's a cost associated with this, but we're going to eliminate the dollar costs and rewards of getting the job versus the cost of taking this test in your time. Let's just look at this purely from the, you succeeded versus the, you failed and, for the sake of argument, everybody has a virtue balance that we we assign. So we have to place some value arbitrarily on attempting. Okay, so let's just say, let's use some prime numbers to make this easy. Let's just say the value of attempting is a five. Okay, so to attempt is equal to five. So you get plus five points for attempting each mm-hmm. time you attempt. And then let's just say you get... 21 points for succeeding i'm just giving me some space to deal with here right Mm -hmm. so so to succeed you get 21 points so what keeps you from saying well if i just attempted five times i gained a higher moral balance than if i would have well it's six times if you attempt six times and fail every time then you have achieved more points by the system than had you succeeded on the first try right which we don't want right so there has to be some diminishing return somewhere so that that's i think where the price of failure comes in right so you need like your number of points per attempt needs to be like some arbitrary base number times one over n where n is the number of attempts right and then this levels off somewhere and then you need to make the points for success be more than whatever that converges to right just like one more or some small amount more so that success is always better than failure right but, but but also the value of success should also be diminished by the number of attempts hmm. at some arbitrary point um because like i don't i don't necessarily think less of somebody who tries something once fails and tries it again and gets it no but if we're talking about something like a test um I, I, 
this also depends on the particulars of the test, but I'm imagining like a school test. Like a certification to get like a... Which is just going to be like an on-paper exam where you're answering questions. And usually it'll be some format where you could, in principle, just get lucky and get through. Right. Well, it's like, okay, well, if you do this test a hundred times and then you get it, it's like, okay, good job. You finally got lucky. That's not impressive at all. And you don't deserve this certification anyway. Like, <laughs> yeah, but that's not a really good, I think, model for life. Let, let's, right. let's do something else like a pass fail type deal, like an okay. apprenticeship. Right. Okay. So every year that you're an apprentice is considered a failure after the first year. Cause after say the yeah, standard, we're going to assume that this is a skill that you should be able to learn in a year. Yeah. Right. So if, once you've apprenticed for one year, you get one freebie, but then after that, every year that you have not moved up to the next level of like journeyman or whatever, it's considered a failure. And, okay. the, and the way you upgrade through it, you, you, it's not just arbitrary. You have to, you have to accomplish some tasks. Let's say it's a trade, like an electrician, you have to wire a whole house yourself without, it failing inspection which is something that should be fairly common mm-hmm. and you sh- you need to be able to do before you're no longer need to be certain you, you need to be supervised right um right yeah that's like the bare minimum to be able to do a job as an electrician yeah, yeah. is be able to just do it yourself to, to wire up an entire house and the thing not burned to the ground yeah right which we can say fail inspection fail inspect yeah you would fail the inspection if the inspector determined this would eventually start a fire yeah right so years pass now the reality is is that eventual success i don't think pans out i think there there comes a point where actually even if you were to continue and then eventually succeed it's still worse off because we're not doing this in a vacuum mhm uh, and you're, it, there's an associated cost. It's not just the cost of failure. What What is in the cost of failure in this case? It's your time, mm-hmm. largely. Right. And missed opportunity Every year cost. that you're still an apprentice is a year that you lost where you could have been an electrician. Right. Or in literally anything else. Or whatever else. other skill you wanted to learn. Yeah. Yeah. The lost opportunity cost. Yep. Which is something that is, I think, are you familiar with the sunk cost fallacy? Yes. Okay. What's the sunk cost fallacy? Sunk cost fallacy is the fallacy where after you sink a certain, you know, uh, amount of resources into something, you decide, well, now I've I've come this far. I can't turn back now, essentially. Um, and so you pour more money into a failing enterprise uh, right. when you could have just cut your losses and done something else. Right. A good model for this is if you have a car and you've paid... Ten, you've paid ten thousand dollars for the car, and then over the course of ten years, you pour a thousand dollars per year into maintaining it. Eventually, you will have spent more money than it's just buying a new car. Like, right. Stop trying to save the old thing and and don't inflate the value of the old thing because of the maintenance. Because of how much money that you've on. spent on it, it's like this thing is still not worth that much. Yeah. Right. Um, the diminishing returns of continuing to attempt something though it's not the same like lost opportunity cost is different than the sunk cost fallacy mm-hmm. um i think it's the point i was just trying to make and delineate so there's that other dynamic at play where it's like okay you've attempted well, yeah, like paying attention to opportunity cost is the is observing and avoiding the sunk cost fallacy because the sunk cost fallacy would be well i've been training to be this thing for 10 years of my life now i can't stop now when it should be apparent at this point that you're not cut out for this type of work you should try something else yeah exactly and the lost opportunity is accumulated over time of something you could have done and to be to be fair we even you can consider something a success and there still be a lost opportunity cost that's greater than the value achieved in success because it also kind of we're not omniscient like arguably you could have a re- you could be successful in your career making really good money and everything like that and you could still have a negative balance in your lost opportunity cost that you're not even aware of mm-hmm. um people kind of use this all the time when they talk about man if i would have only invested in, in certain successful company now yeah that's true you the lost opportunity was if you would have just taken that five hundred dollars and put it into apple instead of yahoo you know, you would actually be doing way better now, but that opportunity is no longer available to you. Right. You can't go back in time. But that's, you know, I guess the point I'm trying to get is that you shouldn't run your life off of the lost opportunity cost, but I think it is something you should be aware of. It, it has to be balanced with what, you know, the lost opportunity cost only tells you what you could have had, not what you could have, right? Right. 
And you should use that to kind of, I guess, build into your life a loop of evaluation of, hmm, what opportunities am I missing right now? Yeah. Right. Use what opportunities you did miss out on to see and yeah. what caused you to miss out on those Learn things. from the past to decide the future. Yeah. Exactly. Don't don't go trying to reclaim those lost opportunities. They're lost. It's in the name. Yeah, they are gone. Yep. But the things that led you to lose them should be the things that you're trying to improve. Right. What could I possibly have done then to know about that opportunity and take advantage of it? Yeah. And of course, the answer for like picking stocks is probably nothing but probably nothing there yeah. are other things that are more predictable like that and you can examine them now yeah right like again dumping maintenance into a car that you could have just gotten by on for a right. while and then just bought a new one later something like that um that also comes with a quick tangent on this i guess that comes kind of with this curse too where the more aware you are of the reasons you're losing these costs the more costs that you're aware of mm-hmm. i find where it can be kind of self-defeating in a way to continuously look for all these things you could be doing. Um, and uh, never be satisfied, I guess. Right. But I think I think the takeaway from that is don't pass up an opportunity. Exactly. And, you know, try to put yourself in positions where you get opportunities. Right. Absolutely. So popping that off. Uh, the conversation stack back to what we were talking about Um, with our electrician example. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. There eventually comes a point in time where achieving the goal no longer matters. Did the difficulty change at any point? Mm. Like if if the test was the same, like the criteria was always the same. Let's assume that no advancements were made in housing materials or whatnot. Then no. Then no. Hmm. And that's because we use the... Well, although in a vacuum, by our previous measure, it did, though. Number of attempts versus number of successes dropped every time. The number of attempts continued to grow while the number of successes never changed. Uh, If the number of attempts goes up, but the number of successes doesn't change, then that means the difficulty is increasing. Right. Which in this case it did. He attempted ten times. Right. Okay. So each year, the, in the vacuum, right, the difficulty. Yeah. With our with our with our model of difficulty being a, the attempts to successes ratio, then yes. Well, okay. I would argue that this is just a quirk of measurement. Um, the actual difficulty of the thing didn't change, but our reading of how difficult it is has been modified. We have a more accurate understanding of how difficult the thing is. Right. Well, I think the thing to note here is that typically we're not doing this in a vacuum. There's mm-hmm. an average that we look at. Yeah. If every other electrician, it, if the average didn't shift, because there's thousands of electricians, right? Um, if you excluded this one person and the value didn't change, then no, it's really just the problem with this person, not the difficulty of becoming an electrician, right? Mm-hmm. And so in a vacuum, you might say the difficulty for that person year after year you might continue to say like man this is actually way more difficult for this person than i would have thought it was Mm -hmm. but i don't think that we determine subjective difficulty as being valuable like for hear me out because if he continues to keep trying and eventually succeeds are we going to does the merit of him finally achieving become more special or more important the longer he tries or does it level off at a certain point where you go about time, <laughs> you know? Well, let's let's think about some different scenarios where this might come up, where something is made more difficult for a particular person. Do we think that it is more or less impressive if they do the thing? Okay. Let's think about, uh, like, people who are, like, paralyzed or lose limbs but then become artists or whatever, um, or something like that. Right, where it's like it's it's more difficult for them in particular. So that like the mere fact that they are doing something that might be easy for you or me is impressive because they did it anyway. Yeah, but at this point the difficulty is not being determined by number of attempts though, is it? Because if the if say the um paralyzed person does it the first try. Well, we would then we would we would more accurately measure the difference of how many paralyzed people have attempted this and succeeded. Yeah. 
fair enough. I feel like that kind of inflates the numbers a bit. Or maybe it's just our perception to paralyze people. Well, the the attempts to successes ratio made an assumption, which is not necessarily true, that uh, everyone who attempts it has basically the same ability to do it. Hmm. True. Yep. But how do you know? You don't. But, but, we, but don't we pretend but, like we kind of do well, know? <laughs> again, right. Like We live in societies with enough people in them that if we actually did measure just the successes to, uh, to attempts ratio, then we would probably get a reasonable number because there are so many of us that it all averages out. There'll be some people who are really good and always get it on the first try, and there'll be some people who are really bad and take forever, but it'll all come out in the wash. Right, but we didn't do that with the paralyzed person. We put them in a right. special category. Should we? Or does that matter? Because I would think it would still come out in the wash. Right. If we wanted to... Okay, <clears throat> but in this case, we're trying to measure... Okay, how difficult is it for a paralyzed person to do X activity? True. We're looking at this, like, does it matter per person? Okay, fair enough. Yeah. For this person. So, like, yeah, what attribute of this person makes them a special consideration for, you know, why we're thinking differently about the difficulty? And then we need to get the the attempts to successes ratio for that category. Yeah, but I think that's no different than looking at the reasons for, like, why someone failed. For example, say the electrician apprentice failed multiple times, but if we, we find out much, much later, it's because he's legally blind. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It amends the failures. Or say that we find out it was nothing to do with him. But the inspectors that were inspecting him actually went above and beyond the standard that is applied to everyone else. Like they were more stringent right. than the, necessary. The test was harder. Yeah. The test was harder. Oh, okay. So these are offsetting factors to the difficulty. Mm -hmm. And they and it's just anything that brings it out of the norm. Right? So I don't know that it necessarily has to be regulated to that person. It's just the scenario that they happen to be in, which makes it unique to them, but not the actual characteristics or attributes of the person necessarily can be but it's not required to be so i don't know back to the original example i guess that that made me kind of pause at this is looking at let's look let's look at the slightly different example right um i do not think well, let's look at the inverse example i guess simplicity right is there anything wrong with something being simple is there anything wrong with something being simple yes simple in what way I don't like know. i said i value simple things in certain contexts sure but i mean so in that sense i would say no mm, okay maybe value is the wrong word there's this behavior that we have to take. Okay, say for example, I you ask me why it is that my TV remote doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You don't bother to look into it at all. You just hand it to me and say, why is this not working? Why it no work? Yeah. Right. And I go, hmm, the batteries are probably dead. Right. And I hand it back to you. That's a very simple explanation as to why it's not working. But I know some people that would say it can't be that. That's too simple. Simple is very likely, though. Why? Hmm. Good question. That's my point, I guess. That's what I'm trying to get at. I mean, yeah, because I, I can explain it in the case of the remote control, which is that this is the most likely thing to fail on a remote control. Mm -hmm. Like this is this is the one consumable item in this whole thing. Yeah. It's likely that you have consumed it now and you need to replace it. It mm -hmm. is much less likely that an internal component of the remote has failed. Right. Um, and that's just a matter of statistics. But this could be chalked up to good design. Right. Which is that it's not that that simple thing is because it is simple, it is most likely the case. It is more likely because, well, people who make TV remotes make them very rugged because they know people will throw them and stuff. Right. And so... 
the weak link, if you will, in this case would be. The and battery. the rest of the design of the remote is also kind of simple. There's not much else that could fail. True. Like other contenders might be like the button is bad. Mm-hmm. The other things I hear you spilled this... a drink on it and ruined it. Like right. Yeah. There's other, but they're all simple. All of the explanations are simple. To us. To us, yeah. Because we know. Right. About this. The battery's dead, or you destroyed it somehow, or whatever. Okay. I guess the time I hear this applied the most is when people are offering advice to, like, how to be successful, air quotes, Mm -hmm. in life, right? Like, for example, uh, my my earlier example of, hmm... Saving $10,000 in a bank account over 10 years. Well, it's pretty simple, actually. Put $1,000 in the bank per year and then don't take it out. Right. The details are are, are the devils in the details, if you will. But let's pick one that's even even better. Okay. Weight loss. Ooh. That's a goal that a lot of people have. That is a goal that a lot of people have. And it's extremely simple to achieve, actually. Yes, it is. Um, eat less. Eat healthier. Like, not just fewer calories, but also a better nutrient distribution and exercise. Right. And if you wanted to, I think, break it down to a simple formula, take in less energy than you use. Right. That's simple. Right. Yeah. It, literally, that is it. Yeah. You will lose weight if you use more energy than you consume. Right. It, there are complexities, like, especially around the differences between eating healthy versus not eating healthy. Right. But. But literally, Yes. Yeah. Literally, it is just an energy equation as for whether you'll lose weight. Right. You can lose weight in an unhealthy way, though. True. Um, but that's not. But if your only goal is I want to lose weight, that is the simple answer of the best way to lose weight is to just use more energy than you consume. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear that, though, because that's a pain in the neck. Um, <laughs> nobody actually wants to do work and eat less. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, I, for example, am losing weight. Mm-hmm. Um, have been for a while, but not very quickly. But I'm also okay with that. I guess another component of it is most people have a goal in mind. I would argue that anytime you set a goal with a deadline, like setting a goal adds complexity. Yes. Adding a deadline compounds complexity. And then any constraint you add on top of that. So with like the weight loss goal, if you set a goal weight, the farther away that is from your existing weight, you increase the difficulty. Mm-hmm. The time strength adds difficulty. And then if you add on top of it healthiness, your health, because just because you weigh less does not mean you're more healthy necessarily. Um, health, weight right. is, there are lots of unhealthy ways to lose weight as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but that further increases difficulty. So for myself, I just I use the simple formula. Take in less energy than I consume. Once I figured out how much energy I roughly use a day in my normal everyday life, I just set the amount that I take into less than that. And the the difference is kind of controlling how quickly this will occur. Mm -hmm. I'm also not necessarily taking health as big of a consideration, but still, it's important. It's just not the main focus. Yes. Right. Um, But this is like over a year I've been trying to do this. You know, and it is working, albeit slowly but surely. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. Like, what? It's pretty simple, and it, it actually is. Um, but n- doing things, but you know what people would rather do? They'd rather buy like a two hundred page book telling them how to lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> right in all of these various complex ways or a several thousand dollar <laughs> surgery to achieve or that yes yeah let me just remove the heavy thing from me yeah let me just attach a vacuum to my <laughs> yes inner cavity there you go and um, remove the grossness um or some people do extreme things like consume parasites on purpose right yep that was one of the the unhealthy ways that i was that i was thinking there's also drugs that can do that um and isn't it funny though? Like, okay, but let, time out for a second. Let's let's talk about one of the ways I mentioned. So I'm doing this thing slowly, right? Mm-hmm. There will come a time when I have achieved the weight that I want to be, and I will be very happy for having achieved my goal. And I would argue that some people would look at my continued effort, even though it honestly is not that difficult to eat just a little bit less than what I normally would have, 
to lose weight because I wasn't gaining weight at an extraordinary rate. I was mm-hmm. gaining a little bit of weight over time. So the amount of the delta of input was not huge to just flip the direction of the velocity to slight loss every year. Yeah. Right. But still, over I, I'm on track at the rate I'm going to achieve my goal weight in about another year. So a total of about two and a half years to get to where I wanted to be. Most people would say, wow, that's impressive. Very good. If I were to instead work really hard and earn four or $5,000 and then get the surgery, most people, they, I think there'd be an interesting mixture. There'd be some people that would just look at it. Ends justify the means. You did it. You look the way you need to do. And, wow, it's impressive that you were able to afford this. And they would see the work that went into achieving, the, getting mm-hmm. the money to do the thing counted. But a lot of people want to keep it in the specific lane of, your effort directly to do this that could not be spent anywhere else, right? Mm-hmm. Like me eating less doesn't net gain me hardly anywhere else. It does, by the way, but I'll get into that later. Right. Um, Those are side effects though. Right. They're they're not the point side effects, right? right. Whereas if I earn four or $5,000, I could at any point decide, wait, I would much rather have other thing. Right. It's dynamic. Um, but there'd be about half the people that would look at me and go, you cheated. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and if we were looking at this in terms of like our, our difficulty equation from before, I think that a lot of people would say we should not even count this as an attempt. Yeah. Why not? Um, right. Because you didn't, you didn't try the hard thing, which is to lose weight naturally you instead paid someone to take it off of you so but i think that's the other thing too that but 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 to be fair like this is this what we're doing we're what are we talking about right that's the thing yes yeah because we if we were if we are literally talking about losing weight then you did it yeah, yeah. but most and most people do talk about that but there's like this assumption of you're going to Eat less, work out, eat better, eat better, right. work out, whatever. Lose weight in a healthy way. Yes. Yeah. Um, or not even in a healthy way, but in a way that most people could attempt. Mm-hmm. Like everybody is equipped with the ability to eat less. Everybody can do that. Right. Now, the consequences for doing so would be different. Perhaps some people probably don't need to eat less, but... Most people could. Most people are not equipped with four or five thousand dollars to go get the surgery of disposable income just to lose weight. Yes, exactly. Or maybe a means. It might take some people two years to earn that much money. You know, right. and and then there's also the associated. What are you giving up in lieu? You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. It it is kind of interesting because on the one hand, I do kind of get where the ends justify the means people come from. But it depends on what the means are. Mm-hmm. I do not view the means of earning money to get something that you want as negative. No. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think most people do either. I think where people get kind of upset is when you want to be put in the same category as those who did lose the weight. Right. Because people don't, for some reason, appreciate... Most people don't think about the four, the, the work that went into it, getting the four to $5,000. Right. Like, okay, so if I had, like, a contest, which was to climb to the top of a thing, like a tower or something like that, um, and, you know, you have people who are climbing by conventional means to get to the top of the tower, and then I say, okay, all you guys are suckers, and I fly up there with a helicopter. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or... Yeah, I spent money to do this, which is legitimate TM, but it's not the thing that everyone was impressed with. Yeah. Right. Or if it has to come with your income, you know, some people will get a job and like say the goal is to make a million dollars. Whoever can make a million dollars of disposable income first wins, right? Mm -hmm. Some people will get a job and immediately start trying to climb the ladder to get better pay, saving that money up till they get to a million one other guy says, I'm going to stay at my low-income job and I'm going to buy lottery tickets instead. Mm. If the guy wins the lottery, well, congratulations, he wins the contest. Doesn't seem right, though. Doesn't seem right, though. Yeah, you... <laughs> you well, it's it's back to the... It's back to the multiple-choice test thing. It's like, good job, you got lucky. 
I don't even think that's what it is. It's that he expended way less effort, mm-hmm. arguably. So it's the effort we value. Yeah. But only the effort when you succeed. Mm-hmm. And this is why Marxists are wrong when it comes to the value <laughs> of labor. <laughs> Just, but I think that's where it comes from, yeah. the labor theory of value, is that we do, for some reason, place this value on effort. Struggle, you mm-hmm. know? Doing the hard thing. We put a value on it. Well, it's like, yeah, like I subjectively value something more when I put a bunch of work into it. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. For example, I built a table. Mm-hmm. A table that cost me about the same as if I would have just bought a table. <laughs> but I care way more about that table. Like, I notice when people lean right, against like, it. I would, I would never buy that table. Like, no, of course not. Not even for the cost that it took me to build it. No. But... I made it. But it's your table. Yeah. And and the reason it's special to me is because it took me several days of effort to make. Right. It's that but that value is sentimental. Sub- yes. And subjective. You know. But I also think it but it's I don't know what the word is. It's almost infectiously sentimental though, right? Good example being um some people would rather pay money for a handmade thing that took way more time and effort mm. and than something that was machined in a factory. Yeah. yeah. Even if the handmade thing is objectively worse. Mm-hmm. Good example. Let's just use the table example. There's a reason why certain things made in factories are just objectively better. Factories and machines can do things that humans cannot do. Reach places that humans can't fix things together in ways that a human cannot do with their own... Mm-hmm two hands they're just better um a lot less chances of failure you know human induced error right um but they still would much much rather have the human made one and i think it's because people are wanting to buy part of it is people like having unique things which that's kind of a component to sentimentality Mm -hmm. but i think it's also people appreciate effort because i think it makes them want to be appreciated for their effort i think it's kind of a thing where it's like i'll appreciate people who work hard so that people will appreciate me when i work hard Mm -hmm. because otherwise i wouldn't do it but we all also acknowledge that if no one worked hard the world would be a much worse off place so (laughs) you know let's all work hard and appreciate each other so that we can all live in a better circumstance right right I, I would like to believe that's where it comes from, but I do think it might be a bit more selfish than that. I think it's that we all kind of, it's, it kind of reminds me of that uh, games people play, but we all want strokes, mm-hmm. you know? And so we found a game to play um, where we can stroke each other over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can, we can give each other strokes over effort, you know? And, uh, but, but the game has rules and you can cheat at this game. Yes. You know, like, for example, creating an artificially difficult circumstance that you always have. Like, a good example. If you watch a person slip handcuffs, that's impressive. But if the person had the key the whole time, it's less impressive. Like, I think you could actually look at the entirety of what magicians do as cheating at this game. Mm -hmm. But it's only cheating once we find out how you cheated. If we can't find out... Then it's cool. It's cool. And... Isn't it? Isn't that kind of how it is? Because I enjoy watching magicians do things. It's kind of neat. Or you can turn it into a different sort of act, which is the comedy act where you pretend to be a magician who's bad. Right. That's a different kind of performance, I yes. think. But no, we, we like magicians, I think, because, wow, they do something that I couldn't do. But if I see how you do it, well, now I know how I could do it. Yeah. And it turns out that most people can do most of these things once they just know. They're really them. not. Yeah. Most of them are not that hard. Some magic tricks are truly impressive. But... Right. Yeah, like, but like card tricks, like anyone can figure out how to do that. Well, I don't think that's what it is. I don't think that anyone could figure it out. Sorry, anyone could execute it if told how to do it. Right, but it's kind of cheating because you're inflating, you're deflating the number of people who succeed by withholding yeah, the by information. Yeah, secret, yep. Yeah, but we also don't see it that way. Maybe they're offset by their entertainment value, I don't know. Right. Maybe that's why they wear silly outfits while they do it. <laughs> and they have to call themselves magicians. You know. As opposed to what? What else would they call themselves? Liars. Oh. <laughs> or uh, 
<laughs> information hogs or something like that. I don't know what you call it. But uh, I don't know. It's just hard to shake that feeling. It, it, I, I get it. I get why people appreciate the difficulty. I, I just don't know if there's a set ratio of difficulty to value like difficulty to like impressiveness or like worthwhileness you know like rube goldberg machines are really hard to build but ultimately not very useful or practical yeah, yeah. and yeah, i do look think at this elaborate machine that i built that takes up an entire room to flip my light switch like <laughs> Ooh, you know um but i think if we were going to continue to build on the model of like what is considered virtuous and try to eliminate the subjectives or make some ass- assumptions on the subjective value so that you could get a tolerance. Like people will value this negative 50 to 50, you know, somewhere on the sentiment. But it'll in the end still be successful. And I think, frankly, you know, If you're adding, I think the difficulty by being informed by the rarity is kind of telling as well. You know, hmm. like if oh, you, yeah. like if you're if you're going to apply the same circumstance to like offering a service, because this is kind of how it works in service based businesses, right? Anybody can wait tables, mostly. Right. Most people can pick up something that weighs less than ten pounds and walk thirty feet with it. Right. That's not hard. But. It might be a simple component of a more complex thing to justify why some restaurants can charge a lot more than others. Mm-hmm. You know, another example, anybody can heat meat until it's safe to eat. But there's well done that's bad and undercooked that's bad. There's this getting closer right. to perfect is harder. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone can heat up a piece of meat until it is safe to eat. But not everyone knows how to do that in a way that it is pleasant to eat. Yeah. And so now you have, but it's not that hard to do, if, especially if no, you have a thermometer. Really yeah. You can just wait until it reaches a certain temperature and then yank it out of the heating thing, be it a stove or an oven, and be pretty close. You can also follow a list of instructions on how to season it properly. Right. Like, that's another thing about, like, tangenting cooking real quick. I, I, I was wondering if cooking was going to come up when you when we raised this topic. It yes. should. Let's do it. Cause, so, cause, yeah. let's do that. What about cooking? Uh, it's pretty easy, actually. It actually is. I think it's more. People have been doing it for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think when people say they can cook, I do not care if someone tells me they can cook or not cook. That doesn't actually inform me to how good a cook you are necessarily, more than it informs me how good you are at following instructions. Which makes me wonder why. I feel like incorporating how well someone can cook based on instructions could be a good interview tactic. <laughs> I'm going mm. to post a recipe online. Bring bring the food to the interview based on this recipe. And I can judge how well you will be at this job if the attention to detail and following instructions are important, which it is in a lot of jobs. You could tell who's going to follow the instructions closer. You know? Right. And you just send them the recipe like the day before so they don't have That's much what time I mean. To, so they don't have any time to prepare and practice. Yeah. No, I would just put it on the... Res- on the... Uh, job listing Almost. well no because if you put it on the job listing then people have time to practice before they call you that's fine tells me something else people mm-hmm. will actually improve themselves to be better maybe I- either way it's a win the, the thing you don't worry about is people giving it to someone who they know can cook right it's very easy to cheat that's the thing yeah so the only real way is to already have the ingredients there and say welcome to the interview cook me a meal <laughs> yeah welcome to the interview why is this why is the interview we'll be here? moving this interview to the kitchen now um <laughs> yep here's the recipe uh you have 30 minutes i'm gonna go in there and take a call and then when i come back i'm gonna eat this while we discuss uh, your resume <laughs> and we'll see how, how well it goes that'd be very unorthodox if i was that'd ever very like, unorthodox someone would definitely find a way to sue you for doing that <sighs> That's the worst part. <laughs> I hate that. If I ever became like one of those eccentric wealthy people that ran a successful company, I would definitely include that in part of my interview process. Yes. With legal protection. I'd, I'd hire lawyers. See, 
another tangent. Welcome to the interview. This is my lawyer. Yeah. No, a quick <laughs> tangent aside, though, there are two reasons you hire lawyers to get you out of something and to keep you from getting into something. Right. Um, where you are in life determines which kind you're hiring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would. I need you to draft me a legal document that'll allow me to do this. But sir, this is illegal. Yeah, I, I don't care. Find a way. Anything's legal if there's consent. Ugh, that sounds awful. <laughs> don't put don't put that in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in the intro. Uh Yeah. Well. What else do we have to say about complexity and such? Yeah. Um What about just the connection between complexity like Complex things are more difficult to just understand in general, right? Yes. So I don't even think it's the complexity in creating things. Sometimes this is the complexity of understanding. And mm-hmm. we and that is something I think most people feel as though all humans are in they're potentially capable of, right? Like I would argue that the vast majority of human beings could be taught to understand how their cell phone works, mm-hmm. like fully works from bare metal materials all the way through the software to the organization of how you put the, all those things together. That is a very difficult thing to oh, fully yeah. understand. If, it, if you mean, yeah, just component wise. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean all the way up. Right. I, I was wondering if you were going to go down to like the physics, like that might be beyond. No, just, people, but no, we, no, we go all the way down to the quantum mechanics, but as in, I'm going to have a table with a bunch of raw materials on it. And a book on software development. And I'm going to start from these and end with the cell phone in your pocket. It's a lot of information. Yes. It's a lot of complexity. But most people could but understand not it. that much. Yeah. Right. A- and given time, most people can understand it. Yeah, it would take a while. Yeah, this is stuff that people go through years of training to be able to build such a thing. But most of that training goes into how do I design this thing from nothing? But... All this is is just teaching you how this one that's already built works. Right. We, someone already came up with a design for this. Now we're going to walk through all the parts and what they do and why they're here. Right. Or maybe do it somewhat abstractly. Like all cell phones have a battery. And you need right. to understand in principle how batteries work. But know that they're different a little bit. You know. All phones have screens. There's only a couple of different major categories of screens that are commonly used. They work these ways. Good enough. Right. All screens have resolutions refresh rates things like that. actually well that's not even well I, yeah i guess if we want to talk about how the screen works then we need to talk about that but uh, yeah but i mean that like you see though if you're going yeah. down to this level of granularity and how is a screen made well most screens are made like yeah, if i do the well most things are for mm-hmm. every little thing yeah it, we're talking a couple of years of dedicated effort to learn how a phone works right but you too could learn how a phone works right and the fact that there are people that make tens to hundreds of hour long series on youtube for all of this just goes to show that yeah anybody could learn that the information's there you could dedicate the time to learn how right so when we see somebody who does know how all these things work it's considered i think an accomplishment in your ability it's not so much your ability to understand because everybody has that it's that you spent the time to figure it out and I think there's an association between that like, and your intelligence, how quickly you're able to figure these things out or mm-hmm. be taught these things, right? Because oftentimes I think that's what we equivalent when we say someone is smart, which we consider being smart a virtue. Yes, we do. But what does it mean to be smart? Really? What do people mean when they say that? Like, I don't know about you. Yeah, people mean kind of different things, yeah. They, they do, but like say there's a kid in high school and the teacher's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's one of the smart kids. In my experience, what they generally mean is that this kid is able to listen to what the teacher has to say, read what the teacher tells them to read, and then tell them they're able to quickly absorb information or at the very least, they're able to offer correct explanations to things quickly. Mm-hmm. And there's like several different ways you can achieve this. Some people, it actually is, they, they're kind of like, like you could just be one of those lucky people born with photographic memories who I hate for <laughs> having real life hacks. Um, 
and you could just do this. Like I could only imagine, how can you get bad grades being a kid with a photographic memory through schools? I don't get it. Like you nailed it. You you were just gifted with a free pass. Right, you just have the special sauce that lets you do whatever. Yeah. Right. Lets you learn whatever. Yeah. Right. Then there are people who are really good at, they're, they're very good at reading quickly and absorbing information and regurgitating information. And then I think the third category of people is, People who are really, really good at detecting trends and realize that a lot of things are very similar. And if you learn core principles of those things, you can kind of extrapolate up to where you need to be, you know, like, but those are kind of the the main pathways to being a smart person, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And we consider those virtuous, but those aren't necessarily, most of those things I think are innate. Right. Yeah. it's, It's not a thing that is earned. I don't know that I would say that being smart is virtuous. I would say it's respected. What's the difference? Okay. What I mean is that nobody sees being smart as an achievement, but they are impressed by it nonetheless. And we are also impressed impressed by achievements. We are also impressed by achievements, yes. All right, so they're both impressive, but they're different. Right. I would also say that a virtue is something that maybe something that we would like people to achieve. Like, because if, if, again, if we're looking at this reward function, I think what we're talking about when it comes to virtues are things where it's like the reward is social praise in some way, shape, or form, be it like actual, an attaboy, like you did good, or people just treating you positively or like, you know, just being less negative towards you as well, I think uh, also I think it has to do with like mm, okay this doesn't apply generally to achievements but like abilities people respect abilities because abilities yield achievements mm-hmm. um so like if you are smart that opens up some doors for you for, for possible achievements later so people respect that because they they know that you are uh more capable of achieving these things. And it's just like, I'm thinking of a, a parallel thing, like being strong, like being naturally athletic um, is also respected in the same way because it opens up opportunities for things that you can do physically. Right. It starts to hint to me towards like what I think a lot of people mean when they say a meritocratic society though. Mm-hmm. It's a society in which we value pure meritocracy is just valuing achievement Mm -hmm. but i think what most people actually mean is this it's it means achieving things but it also values the down the upstream things of the ability to even attempt the ability to achieve those things Mm -hmm. and increase the likelihood of success and those things can be either natural or achieved through additional effort I think maybe the difference would be is that a purely meritocratic society doesn't care how you would get to the achievement. Whereas what I think most people would prefer is one that there is this. Modifier for difficulty where we kind of slide the difficulty or more appropriately, we set bars based on what we think is difficult for you for example if you are one of those child savant types that are really smart or whatever if you went out there and started a successful small business most people would go okay that it that's all you did with your amazing abilities but if anyone else did that that would be considered an immense achievement for the average person yeah running a successful small business is hard work but yeah but yeah if you're a child savant it's like why didn't you become a doctor or a physicist or something yeah hmm i don't know how i feel about us doing that though (laughs) it makes sense though i get why because if you were outside of the system and you didn't know where you were going to be, most people would agree on the system of, hmm, it is way less likely that I'm going to be the child savant. I'll take the, you did good. 
you achieved <laughs> slightly more you you achieved what was expected and we expected slightly we expected sl- slightly more than what you just could have done mm-hmm. yeah most people would look at that and you go did, yeah you that, did more than the bare minimum yeah yeah most people be like that's the society i want to live in not the one where it's like oh no i was born normal crap <laughs> I will always be outcompeted by those with just natural talents exceeding mine. Right. Okay. <laughs> Even though that raises, I guess, one last question about that. Um, so you're familiar with Ayn Rand's works, right? Some of her works, the nature of her works, at least. The nature, yes. I've, I've read only one book. Right. So, and maybe this is where we leave off into maybe the next episode, but... One of the things that she discusses is if most people would want to be born into the society where they get the direct benefit of their own effort, but because we set the bar lower, achievement for that individual is weighed up value, more valuable for the the individual. But the overall society suffers because we are now capping those who could be more successful, Mm -hmm. right? Is there such a thing as letting those who, even if they are just naturally more gifted, letting them have more fruits of their labors because they can do things with them that would actually bring even more, you know, mm-hmm. to the society. The, the the whole idea of the rising tide raises all ships kind of idea. And maybe that's where we kick off and maybe discuss that next time. Sure. All right. Philosophers. Philosophers. If you like the music in this episode, please check out Jippy on Bandcamp at jippy.bandcamp.com. Philosophers is supported by viewers like you. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, or a topic you'd like to see revisited in the future, please let us know by contacting us using the methods in the description or in the comments below. Thank you for listening.